everyone, it's Rod here, just jumping in to let you know that this is kind of a placekeeper episode for the month of April. This is a much shorter episode than you would normally expect from The Bloody Pit, but it's one that I'm putting out here because I've kind of saved it up. These are the bits and pieces that were left over when I did the editing job on the James Bond episode that Mark Maddox and I did this past summer. Whenever Mark and I sit down to talk about any particular subject, it becomes very difficult for us to stay on task, to stay on one topic, especially when we start talking about movies. So, for the James Bond episode, I desperately wanted the show to stay focused on the Bond series in some way, shape, or form. So when we went off on these ridiculous tangents, I knew that I was going to have to edit those pieces out. What I didn't realize is that I would probably end up keeping those pieces for months and months and eventually use them for this purpose. So, what you have here are excerpts from the conversation that Mark and I had last summer. We end up talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark, Star Trek, a dozen different topics, and we jump all over the place. And you may hear occasionally me say something that makes you understand that I'm trying desperately to weave the conversation back to the James Bond movies, and I rarely got to do that. For the James Bond conversation, you can go back and listen to that episode from last summer. But these bits and pieces assembled here for your pleasure, I hope, is what this episode consists of. I hope you'll enjoy it. There's no real coherency to it. We range all over the place talking about classic film, monster films, science fiction films of all types, shapes, and sizes with no real through line that I could pick up on, to be honest other than my occasional desire to just needle Mark and to get him pissed off. So, please enjoy this. It's definitely something different for the Bloody Pit, but we'll be back next month with a discussion of the Beyond, which, uh, you know, should put us right back on track with the stuff that we normally talk about here. Thank you very much, and I'll, uh, I'll be back at the end to say goodbye and let you know some of the other things that are coming up on the podcast and in other places for me and regular co-host, Troy. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, necrophilia. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, prudes. I know, really. Right? the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in it. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of her. unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Science. We let things pile up in the DVR, 
We add them to our queues. We wait for the DVDs and Blu-rays. We time shift. The Time Shifters podcast. Sci-fi, horror, fantasy, superheroes, comedy, action, film, television, maybe some not-so-current events. Find us on iTunes or at timeshifterspodcast.com. But the thing is, is that, you know what, I remember seeing everybody on the, on the planet love Raiders. And then I'm sitting here having dinner with three or four friends, and one friend of mine looks over to me and she goes, you know what, I, I didn't understand why anybody liked that film. What am I supposed to do? Get angry? Yeah. Or... Oh, no, 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 I'm not saying, I'm not sure. That, that's, that's why I want to, once again, stress. Um, opinions about films are as divergent as the, you know, the number of people that you're ever going to know. That's sure. fine, that's dandy. But... As, as wonderful as a film can be, there's a lot of people it's just not going to connect with. Well, there is going to be a percentage. Uh, what's the greatest film of all time? I don't think there's actually an answer. We could say Casablanca or Citizen Kane, which I'm tired of hearing that goddamn answer. Or, or it's a good or, film. I think it's okay. It's in my top five. And I, think it's, I, think, I think it's a downer. And I, I find like Casablanca myself, better. Well, you and I agree on that. I mean, to me... Uh, I actually like Vertigo better, too. Ooh. Big Vertigo fan. Sorry. You and I should date. But anyway... <laughs> uh, uh, but I will say this. To me, uh, over the years, the one that I've settled down into, if you're we're talking about art school, greatest film of all time, and this is... It's an opinion, but I think there's a lot of validity to back it up, is Lawrence of Arabia. I find that mm-hmm. movie to be so... Beautifully made. Um, I Agreed. think it is so. I mean, you've got this actor who they just said, "Yeah, we got this guy, and he's so good," and we and he screams of intensity, and they let it work through the movie. the The cinematography is spectacular, and I don't give a goddamn what anybody says, even the man himself. Stanley Kubrick was heavily affected by that movie. We watch we watch the Stanley Kubrick movies where at the end of Barry Lyndon the the gunfight is painfully agonizingly oh, beautifully the duel? The slow. Duel? You mean the, the duel, duel, the yeah. duel. Oh, yeah, the Jesus, duel. That duel is dun, in hell. Dun, bum, bum, and it just goes on and on. But I'm gonna tell you something. Kubrick to me Spartacus doesn't show that stuff. But when you see the very, very long-distance shot of the guy striding up on the camel mm-hmm. at the water hole. I see Kubrick written all over it. And yet, he, yeah. and yet he claims that Lean wasn't an influence. I said, maybe you don't think he was, or maybe you don't want to maybe admit he was. Ignored. But I mean, in I, the back you of your skull, that you absorbed. I think that you absorbed it 100%, because I think Lean was Kubrick before Kubrick was Kubrick. You want to know the most fascinating little weird thing about Kubrick? I'm, I'm a huge fan. I love oh, me too. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. He, but here's the weird little thing. You know that he was the original director on uh, the Marlon Brando, Carl Malden film, One-Eyed Jacks. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Did not get along with Brando. And I love Brando. the film. Yeah, did not get along with Brando. Brando took over and directed it. I did not know that. That's brand new information. With that knowledge and, for, and what you know about Stanley Kubrick, watch the opening of One-Eyed Jacks now. Oh, yeah. It looked... I swear to you, if if... Stanley Kubrick did not direct that opening sequence. Bullshit. Wow. It plays out exactly like a Kubrick scene. Hmm. Watch the opening of One-Eyed Jacks. Wow. 
But yeah, I, I learned that, oh God, it was years ago. And I've already seen the film. Uh, what I Jacks for a long time was one of those movies that, uh, it's, you know, it's a, it's a Western, and it would just turn up, somehow it like fell in the public domain or something, so it wasn't hard to find. I mean, it was on cheap videotapes all over the place. Whatever the, whatever the reason was, you could see One Eye Jacks really freaking easy. But who's the, who's the company that made it? I don't remember. I think it was, was, an, it? I think it was an independent production. Really? I think. I love that. I think it got bought for distribution by somebody big. But yeah. anyway, I, I think it's watch a great that film. sequence. Yeah, One Eye Jacks. I love that film. Well, it's a good film. I'm just saying, we, I watched that film several times in my life before I got that bit of knowledge about him working on it, doing the pre-production, I, I, setting I stuff. I did not. That's brand new information it's to me. Amazing. The next time I watched the movie, watching the opening, I just sat there going, "Oh my god!" Wow. If wow. he didn't direct this, because he was on it a little while before he left. Holy shit! That's brand new news to yeah. me. That's, yeah, check, check wow. it out. Check it yeah, out. yeah. I already now, I've never the read. Film. I've never read verification of there being any sequences in the film that he he shot, or if they tossed everything out. But man, there's <laughs> if he didn't direct it, somebody was aping him pretty fucking hard. Well, there's no way to ape him. That was he was new at that time. I mean, yeah, well, style. oh yeah, you're right. That was like '61. You're right. Yeah, I mean, um, now. Um, God, we're, we're nowhere near James We're nowhere Bond. near James Bond, you're right. Uh, Lolita. Uh, Great film. Uh, uh, Dr. Strangelove, and then everything else after that. I mean, uh, Kubrick uh, is a, an incredible class act. I see. I always feel very cold when I, when I watch Kubrick. Yeah. But that's not a bad thing. Even, I will say this, you know, one of, one of his films I don't feel that chill from, and, except in certain scenes, mm. is Barry Lyndon. Because I always get a warm vibe off of it because of all the, the shooting with candles. Yeah. It, it, it's an intimate film. Well, I'm but not I talking don't about feel... the physical warmth. I'm talking about the, the, the sort of like... I'm saying I, I don't honestly, feel that distance. I don't feel that distance, that yeah, chilly distance. When I watch Kubrick films, it's like, look, you are not these people. When I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and spoon-feed you their emotions. Right. I'm going to be like... It's almost like I'm back in Barry Lyndon's case. What is it? About 150, 200? 200, 200 years 200 ago. 200 and there's a camera in stuck in the wall filming these people, and it's it's brilliant. I've had a couple of people tell me they thought Barry Lyndon wasn't. It was like not uh, not a good film. I've heard that a lot, by the way. Well, a lot of people think that it's just a terrible movie. And well, I, here's what I have to I say: don't, I don't get it. You're ever. wrong. No, I don't want. No, I'm not even going to play that. I mean, I remember. I mean, I'm not even. I mean, I, the first time I saw it, I'm not an art house guy or anything like that. I became one. But when I saw that film, I thought, "Boy, this might be Ryan O'Neill's best moment. This it might is. be this might be several of these actors and people that I really appreciate." And the music, Kubrick knew exactly what he was doing. It didn't do good, and it should have done better. You don't want to know what the problem was. It wasn't Kubrick; it was the public. Okay, here's the thing: you mentioned Ryan O'Neill. A lot of people, when they want to criticize Barry Lyndon, they talk about Ryan O'Neill as the main character. And I'm sorry, but it's still the only movie I've ever seen Ryan O'Neill in where I thought the fucker acted. That scene, when the when his son, and this is spoiler big time, not for the ending of Barry Lyndon, but for a very heartfelt moment, so I apologize. But when his son has fallen off the horse and is injured, and they all know that he is going to die. Yeah. The scene, oh my God. Yeah. Just, yeah, it gets to you. I think Ryan O'Neill is brilliant in that scene. I think Ryan O'Neill is, he really was, the problem isn't Ryan O'Neill. 
the problem a lot of times was his directors. And I think he really yeah. was yeah. he really was a good actor, but you had to get the right guy to plug into him. Well, something they seem to discover late in Ryan O'Neill's career is some bitch had a flair for comedy. He no, could, no, no, no. He, he kind of, yeah. Huh? Come on. What's up, Doc, is a masterpiece. Oh, no, granted, but you look at the films he made after that, and they were all dramas. There were yeah. things, you know, there was Barry, I mean, well, well that was 72. What, Barry Lyndon? No, uh, Barry Lyndon was 75. What's up, Doc, was 72. I, yeah, I think I saw it around 72, 73. Yeah. So if you, if you look at his progression, off. he finally, they made, uh, and I still have never seen it, in like 80, 81, that uh, blue jean comedy called So Fine, which I hear is pretty good, but at the time got lambasted. Yeah, I'd have to see it. But I, but I understand. I mean, he's the star, and apparently it's pretty good. <laughs> apparently he's good another, There's another film that he made that was so... I'm like, wow, this guy really is underrated. But Barry Lyndon, to me, is... I'm going to say it, flawless. I mean, I don't give a damn what other people... I, I, was on a, I was on a Kubrick show on another podcast, and this guy's like, I love every Kubrick film except for Barry Lyndon. And I was like, well, I was taken aback. Yeah. It's like... If you're going to do that, I mean, for me, Full Metal Jacket, take it back because I'm confused. I've got one film at the beginning. I got the other film at the end with a with a with 20 minutes, uh, 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 you know, of soldiers standing over a woman who's slowly dying. I'm not, I'm not asking in Kubrick films to be quote unquote entertained, but what I want is to get the point and move on. And and I hated, I hated the last half. A full metal jacket. I love the first I, half. I have to. I have to ask once again. What's it like to be so wrong? From your point of view, can you? Do they no, have no, 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 <laughs> no. When you're sitting here, look. When I watch the last half of Full Metal Jacket, it's like I've got a. I've, I've, I've cut. I've got a cut on my arm. I was. Um, I don't know. I was in the tool shed and I, I grazed my arm along the buzzsaw blade that's sitting up there. And then somebody comes up at the last half of Full Metal Jacket. The last full half of the film and takes her thumb and puts it on that wound and twists it and that's all I'm getting I'm not getting enough information to go look there's a balance to this pain not like in a great film like uh, Streetcar Named Desire where I'm understanding that I'm getting these characters going through what they're going through or some Tennessee Williams you know a film or anything like that all I'm getting is an agonizingly painful slow death of a, of, a, of a sniper woman where a bunch of, of, of dumbass American soldiers are staring over her and she is slowly breathing her last breath. Which, and by I, the way, only takes a couple of minutes of screen time. You're exaggerating. Well, the whole film, that whole last portion where they get to Vietnam well, yeah, the whole, the whole is last that same portion, choking I'm thing. assuming you're talking about the, um, the whole sequence that is the sniper attack where it turns out, once again, spoiler. A little girl. That a little, night, a young, the, a, a young a woman, a small woman. Yeah. Who, uh, this young woman, I got it. This young, yeah. tiny little person who believes in what they're believed, uh, believing in, um, basically assaults a full-grown group of men because, and it shows she has the high, she somebody, has the high, she has the high the high position. She's damn good with her weapon, and she fucking and works she over, and you know? she is really uh, she's poor. She's she's like you know, but you're in my country. And I'm like, it's long, it's slow, it's drawn out, it's and it's Kubrick, just like at the end of the first half, twisting the knife. No. Okay. All right. There's not an up and down to this. There's just a basic up. He wasn't trying for an up and down. I, I really don't care. Now, granted, if you don't like 
what he set out to do, okay, cool. But sounds like when you say there's no up and down, not every story has an up and down. Some stories have a descent, and that last half of that, the last half of Full Metal Jacket is about a descent. I want to leave a movie informed. I want to leave a movie and I want to cry. I want to leave a movie and I want to ache. I walked out of Full Metal Jacket when I saw it in the theater, and I remember it well. Um, shaken up and very near, very Tears. emotionally upset. I understand that. Yeah. But here's the thing with me, is I don't want to leave so down that I can't pull out of the dive. Okay. And that one basically was... I didn't learn anything. All I want to do is just sit there and get away from this. Now, having said that, when I watched Platoon, which is like the worst horror film of all time, to hell with Alien, or Aliens, which, by the way, people, I love tremendously. I know you do, man. Don't worry. Yeah. But I'm going to tell you, when I watch when I watch Platoon, and I look at Tom Berenger, and I look at Willem Dafoe, and I look at their, their, their fight, and I look at the final fact that a young man turns around and shoots Frankenstein in the chest, which is basically uh, uh, Tom Berenger, who is the Frankenstein monster in this movie. And I left that theater so goddamn rattled. Like, I mean, I actually had hives running up my neck and all up my face and up my forehead. And I said... That is one that that's the scariest film I ever saw in my life. It was the best horror film I ever saw in my life. I was rattled and I learned something and with full metal jacket I didn't learn anything. All I knew was something that I already knew is that in Vietnam there were people that were goddamn sure not gonna let these people take them over. That they were sick of the of the Western crap and I got it. With full metal jacket, it was more of what kind of guys are we dealing with? You mean, you mean Platoon? With I'm pl- sorry, I'm sorry, Platoon. Thank you very much. Um, when I'm watching it, where the horror of the Western thing going into this country was, yeah, there were some good guys who went out there and fought what they thought was communism, but there was also this big, giant chunk of a military machinery that was there that Beringer represented yeah, and that that finally, you know, we had to cut it off. We'd like you cut off your arm, and so when I left, and I love Kubrick. Don't get me wrong. I've never that is the only Kubrick movie. I think that I I walk away from and I say I love half of it and I don't love the other half. Most people are gonna if they're gonna bitch, they're gonna bitch about Eyes Wide Shut. Well, that's not a Kubrick movie. Yeah, it is. No, it is. Yeah, it is. No, it isn't. Which means you don't like it. No. Which means you're wrong. You do like it? No, that is what I said. You're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong. You're wrong that it's a Kubrick movie. Do you like it or not? I actually liked it. I love it, yeah. But here's the problem. I think, I think it's fascinating. No, but come on, Rodney. What? What am I on? What, what am I not? You're Mr. Just... Information with a sheet of paper over there. <laughs> what about it? What about, full... what about Eyes Wide He Shed? died. We didn't see the rest of the film. No, he died. During the final editing process, yeah, the film and? was shot. He made all his notes. All his te- all his technicians knew how the film was going to be put together, and they finished it. It's not as if he didn't. His team did not know how the film was to be edited together. That's just fact. Rodney, have you got a stopwatch? 
<laughs> no, I have a. Were you there to tell me how many more hours Kubrick was working on it? No, but that hardly matters because you can talk to the people who were his editing team. They'll tell you the no, same thing. No, I heard a lot of things that he wanted right. left in that film that were cut out. People having oh, actual now, sex. If your argument is for a longer version of the film, he no, signed my, me to my fuck argument up. isn't about anything. Sign my er, sign my argument up. is that Picasso was in the middle of a painting and he had a heart attack. 60% of the way through, 70%, even 80% of the way through, and didn't get to finish it. And he dies, and some other guy comes over and goes, what was he, how was he finishing it up? I think this was it. There were scenes where they digitally went in and cut out and and removed people having sex. Look, we saw, we saw Clark Kubrick, Kubrick knew they were going to have to do that. He he he. That was not something done after Kubrick's death. Okay, that was something. Well, we're really talking about a fact that I would need to sit here and look at the layout of oh. what, what where where Kubrick's brain was up until the last second when he kicked the bucket. And no, then, we're not. And no, 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 no. no, let's, no. Let's it has to, to be. Bond. Let's get back to the Bond films. No, no, no. We got to finish this up. We got to finish this up. All right, all right. Get get it in. Get it in. Okay. And the thing is, is that eyes wide shut. I watched it. I'm like, whoa, whoa. I love it. And you it's know what? I love it. And one of the things is, I don't know what Tom Cruise's life is like. I don't care about his, his, his private life. I don't care what sexual orientation or religious orientation or whatever. But nobody on this planet looks more at, better at realizing they're being screwed over than Tom Cruise. Yeah. And when Sidney Pollack looks at him and goes, look, and it happens twice in this movie. It's brilliant. Brilliant. When Nicole Kidman very slowly and achingly and painfully tells her husband, there was a guy. I saw him one time, and I was with you, and I thought I'd give everything up to be with him sexually. Tom Cruise has got a fantastic look on his face. Yeah. He's a fantastic actor. I don't care. No, no, I, I agree with you. If you had, told, if you had uh, put before me the question, is Tom Cruise a good actor 20 years ago? I might have laughed in your face. After a series of films, strangely enough, starting with Eyes Wide Shut, I, I've i come around to the exact opposite of that. Nah, Born on the Fourth of July, he was really good in, too. Yeah, well, that would... Yeah. But the thing I, is... I'll grant you, he was really good the thing in, is, But at the time, I, that was the only film I thought... I thought that's, that's got to be a large... So we get through that, and then we yeah. get to the ending of the film, where there's which, weird sexual which, society... Okay, I'm sorry. I, I, Eyes Wide Shut. Okay. Sorry, yeah. We, and we, then, we and then Sidney Pollack blatantly tells him, look, if you try to expose the society of people that sexually get away with whatever they want because they're rich and powerful, they'll either destroy you or they'll kill you or whatever. And Tom Cruise is so good at that that look. Kubrick knew who he had hired. Yeah. And I'm not disagreeing with you. If somebody could magically tell me Kubrick was 10 seconds away from finishing the film and then he died. Or he was six months away from finishing this film and then he died. We'll never know. What I know is that the final product that we saw on the screen, I liked. I cannot sit here and 100% say it is full-blown Kubrick. Well, now here's That's all thing. I mean. Uh, I, I, uh, I can agree with what you're saying. Yeah. But from uh, my reading and for years afterward, uh, after Eyes Wide Shut, I did a good bit of reading about the the process of the filming and everything because I found it utterly fascinating how long they took to shoot the film. Right. Kubrick had already, before he died, 
set a hard release date. Oh, okay. Okay? Right. And here's the one thing, and this is something that his editing team all say. The fact that he had set that hard date and was going to meet it and was on track, it was not as if there was a question that it was going to be met. Right. Before he passed. There is no way to know, because Kubrick had done this before, right? whether he would have put the film out there, judge reaction, and then maybe altered it afterwards. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. That's the one thing we'll never know. Right. Okay? That we will never... There's no way to know that. Right. Because he did that He did that with 2001. He did it with um, uh, The Shining. He did right. it with a number of films that he put out there, judged the reaction, peeled it back, did some editing changes. So that's something we'll never know. I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a serialized monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror films. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos, The Hands of Fate, and the original chill role-playing game. My goal is to recreate the thrills of the monster versus monster films that we all love. We'll have vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, and scheming madmen. And that's just in the first storyline. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors and other monster stories sent directly to your email for as little as a dollar a month. For just two dollars, you'll get all the chapters in advance, plus bonus stories and other perks. Sign up now at CushingHorrors.com or visit SDSullivan.com for a Patreon link. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again. And remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. The following is a message from the American Podcast Council. We need your help. Podcastophobia strikes four out of five Americans every day, and chances are that someone you love or could love given time is currently suffering from this devastating affliction. But it doesn't have to be that way. For zero dollars a day, you can help. Please, make some time today to let just one person know about a favorite podcast of yours. It can be this one, but it doesn't have to be. But it probably should be, but seriously, no pressure. And show them where to find it and how to download, play, and subscribe to it. And tell us what you recommended. Use the hashtag tripod. That's T-R-Y pod. Thank you for speaking out. And thank you for listening. What did you think of the second one? I did not like it as much. Okay. No, I did not. As a matter what, of fact, what, I'd what, give it... A, what were the reasons? What I would mean? say that um, I think that the guys thought too much about past Star Trek and fitting it in. Um, I think that Wrath of Khan is a... A fantastic this, story that they should have tried to revisit. No, I would say Wrath of Khan is half a fantastic story that they, sh- they should try to revisit. They should have... If they I think they should have. I don't think they should have done anything with Wrath of Khan. I don't think they should have t- no, touched Wrath of Khan. I think they should have crafted their own fucking story. I, I, 
you and I are in complete agreement on that one. Now, Wrath of Khan to me is I was I I mean I know Space Seed very well. That's the first for you oh, people yeah. is the first Wrath of or this the the Khan Space uh, Seed that story. would be episode twenty four of the first season of the original Star Trek. Sorry, your geeky moment brought to you. by... God, I love Rodney. So anyway, brought to you by God, I love Rodney. Rated R. So anyway, the thing is, is that is that it uh, it, it kind of surprised me, but you basically people are like. J.J. Abrams is a guy who did not really love Star Trek. He loved Twilight Zone. No, but, ah, 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 ah. He loved Star Wars. He loves No, but he also loved Twilight Zone. He yeah. said that. The thing is, is they brought in Nicholas Meyer, who did not love Star Trek either. But he knew what the fuck he was doing. I don't, I don't agree with you. He was no better than J.J. Abrams. I'm tired of this. This is, this is what drives me nuts. Trek 6, nail in the coffin. Boom. It was a good movie. The damn good movie. No, but it's corny still. I love no no. Star Trek's generally corny. Let's be blunt. It's something I like about. I don't Star think Trek. I don't think original nineteen sixty Star Trek is corny. Sometimes it was. No, sometimes, but I'm going to tell you this right now. To, if we're really going to sit here and run home to Mama, this is called the uh, problems with Rodney what were, episode. What, what were you saying? So anyway, is that is that I watched Wrath of Khan. Now here's my problem with Wrath of Khan. Not that there is actually a problem with it. I saw two films the same day. And they both opened the same day. I went to one theater and saw Poltergeist. Okay. I walked across the street and saw Wrath of Khan a few hours later. Now, you got to realize what an energizing, Spielberg-inspired movie that Poltergeist is. Yeah. So I walk across the street, and I love Wrath of Khan. But I'm going to tell you, the parts of Wrath of Khan that do it for me is Captain Kirk finally getting his comeuppance at his age for being a Tomcat. Oh yeah, he he is a he's 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 done all the cool stuff. He's Captain Kirk. Character stuff. It's that's the, what I love. I'm gonna. It's the it's the and that's one of the great things about that script is Kirk is forced to be a fucking adult. Yes. Now he's still a sly, smart commanding officer. Yeah, sure. And you, but you need that. He's finally getting his nose rubbed in his mistakes. His his his, his quote unquote whether it's uh, ex girlfriend, ex wife is yeah. like I've got a son, and you're you know, and I'm tired of this crap with you, and you never were going to be with us in the first place. That's the brilliant part of that script. Yeah. The con part is basically standard. You kill my brother, Jimmy Cagney, kind it's of. It's a thing. revenge story. Yeah. It's a revenge story. Now, is Wrath of Khan a bad film? Absolutely not. No, it's no, a very it's damn good. good film. It's a it's a good film on a modest budget, basically because Paramount did not still believe in the film in the series that they had. The McCoy parts are fantastic, all that kind of stuff. But here's my problem with Wrath of Khan. If you were not already part of that high school or that college, that alumni, when I'm sitting there with friends who have never watched Star Trek, and they are not sitting here when Spock dies, there's no there's no emotional commitment to them. They are like, okay, yeah, that's I guess this is sad. I don't know. And it happened multiple times when I went back trying to find the spot in that film that I was missing. I was a, a big Star Trek fan. So for me, it was like sad. But even I was sitting there going, I'm not getting the emotional juice out of it that that I would think I would be getting, like even in some old Star Trek episode from the 60s where you thought Spock might die or Kirk might die and the other guys are freaking out. And I'm, and I'm watching this with people. And some people in the theater are snickering 
while Spock's death scene is going on. They're separated between a piece of glass. It's almost like, is this homophobic? I remember the scene in uh, in Operation Annihilate where Spock gets that that sucker creature stuck on his back. Yeah, yeah. Shatner reaches down like in some kind of a, a, a Shakespearean type thing and grabs Spock and is holding on to him. And in this one, we've got this weird sort of divisive uh, piece of plastic between them, and they're talking to each other. And I'm like, why is not? Why did they not allow uh, Captain Kirk to grab onto his best friend ever and and ache and moan over him dying? And I felt like I was cheated when I was watching that. Um, I did not feel that... I felt you had to already be a Star Trek fan in order to, to, to agonize over Spock's death. And people, Now, that, that is... I will completely agree with you that if your first encounter with these characters was The Wrath of Khan, or even just the two motion pictures that existed as they were, you wouldn't give a shit this Spock But the point is, is, when you go to a movie, you are, you, they have to invest you all the way through, through the end. Here's my question, though. The Star Trek movies were the first of a certain breed of film that are pretty common now, which is a TV series making the jump to film. Okay? Now, the reason Paramount took that massive, massive, expensive leap was that they knew how big the fan base was. Yeah, but they, didn't, fi- they didn't take a leap because what happened is, is that they had this giant film with a huge budget and then they, they, they sat down and make a second film with like, what, it was a $12 million budget? They stripped them down, way down on their budget. So they didn't take a leap with Wrath of Khan. They, they cut them. The we were actually watching. film yes. was a giant leap. It was the first film to yes. grow from a television series into a film. I'm not disagreeing with that. Now... They built those movies. Yeah. Watch them. It's true. Right. They built them <laughs> for that huge fan base. Not anybody else. Well, that's not... That's not to, me, to me, you have to be able to include people. Now, if you are the first person I've ever heard to put that forth as a flaw, and if that is your contention, I think I can agree with you. But... Yeah, I'm not the never... first person to say that. You know what, the, you know what the, 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 the saying was at the time? I'm at somebody else's high school reunion. Fine. Right. If that's your contention, I can agree with you. Uh, it's they never they they had no template for this. They felt that if I don't if we don't build this to play directly to those millions of fans that we know that exist, we're fucked. Mm. Now maybe that's filmmaking out of fear, whatever you want to call it. Right. But that is the reason. And to my mind, considering that they were breaking brand new ground, that's a fine fucking reason. Because they're they're gambling, especially that first movie, what was it, 40 million? 40 to 50. Right. They're gambling that shit ton of money. They better... Think about about that. Star Wars cost 10, and Star Trek the motion picture cost 40-something or whatever? Well, that was was because of mistakes and and hiring people, and it fell apart. Oh, I know. The thing is, is that, look, look, I don't want anybody to think that I think that Wrath of Khan is not a fine movie. Okay. I'm sitting here holding up a mirror to things that I think are... It is a, a, a very good movie. It's a beautiful movie. There's a lot of things about it that I love. I love the fact that Ricardo Montalban, an actor who would basically by that time be doing television constantly, all that kind of stuff, got a good, juicy, chunky role. He was fantastic in it. Oh, and he but what took, I'm saying he is... Role, he took that role by the balls. Man. And, he, and, and he was great at it. And the thing is, but I, but I will say this, I completely and totally think 
that the J.J. Abrams movie did something that that film did not do, and that is like, you have never seen a Star Trek, you have never seen any Star Trek before that, we are going to take you on a roller coaster ride, not only in terms of like a kind of a Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of thing, but we're also going to make you happy and cry and sad. And there were scenes with like Spock's world being destroyed where you could tell the audience was devastated. And I... And they even tried to make it okay by saying, guess what? We're going to let you have your cake and eat it too by saying this is an alternate timeline. So guess what? We get to not have William Shatner, who is too old, and Leonard Nimoy, who are too old. We're going to come in with these new people. It was a, a beautiful way to segue out of the actors. And the audience at first, I didn't hear a goddamn complaint about that film for the first few years until all of a sudden the fan base started up with this vitriol about it not being this or that or the other. And I watched that film, and I'm a pretty harsh judge of movies, and I walked out of that film high-stepping because I had a great time watching it, and I will never think anything different. And I resent somebody coming back in and rewriting history. One of the things about this... What, what, wait, you resent somebody rewriting... Who's rewriting history? I think that at the time, it, it got a 94% rating. It made a shitload of money. And a lot of people who normally did not go to see Star Trek, including my neighbors and their kids and their wives on the street, went to see it and goes, you know, I saw that it was a pretty damn good movie. Hmm. Yeah, it happened. Yeah, I, oh, I agree. I'm I, saying I it actually it happened. Did. But the thing but is... If you're, going, if you're going to base your opinion no. of a movie... And and back up your opinion of a movie by shit tons of people think it's awesome. That's a wrong approach, man. Because opinions are like assholes, and everybody's got one, and you need to. So back you're up saying your that all. Opinion. So like you're saying, if ninety percent of the populace said it was a good movie, they're wrong. How well rated are the fucking Transformers movies? Pretty low by the audiences. Check the numbers. What about the critics? The critics gave Star Trek a fantastic review. Are you are you trying to tell me? My the point is. General popularity of a film is is absolutely no way to govern your own opinion of no, a film. No, no, no. What or I'm saying is that people went to see this film and they had a good time. Oh, I, I would I wouldn't argue with you. Okay, if you and I hate to use the phrase, don't think about the movie at all while it's playing. If you can manage that, and that's what they were trying to make sure you did, because they started that movie without a fucking script. Oh no no now 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 you're now you're trying to plug in some kind of history that I've never heard of. I have to you didn't I have know to this? assume no no I have to assume that you are in fact correct. Uh, if you doubt me, we can you can look it up. You okay, really here's here's my point. There was a writer strike. I've been they watching the finish. Okay, I'm, yeah okay. I've heard all about that. I've been watching Star Trek since 1967. I have been watching those those original series episodes over and over again. And I watched Me the too. other series and all that kind of stuff, and some good, some bad, some, you know, okay, this is too boring, there's no drama, whatever, and some of it's pretty good. I went to that film with low expectations. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to see here. I left the film completely and totally happy, and now I'm being told that I'm wrong. No. Once again, I'll have to. This is like the third time I've had to say this tonight. I'm not saying you're wrong. I am saying that I want to know your opinion, and we've talked about several films we've disagreed on. Right. I'm not trying to change your opinion because I have no interest in changing your opinion. I want to know why you feel the way you do about whatever film we disagree on. Okay. So I can tell you why I feel the way I do about right. that film. 
and we can compare and contrast. Okay, here, here's two things. One, we'll talk about the my love of the film in a second. One thing I don't like... Are we going like, to keep talking about Star Trek? Yeah. Because I really James, didn't fucking sign up. James Bond is gone. If you go back to... We can go back to James Bond. You can turn it into two-parter. The thing is, if you go to... Wanna, if you go to those first six Star Trek films... No, I'm sorry, the first one? This is only because you're here. He's just trying to... Troy, because you're here, he's trying to show out. No, when you hear the rough, rough, rough audio, trust me. No, this is not because you're here. <laughs> There's not a single moment of this is boring. But anyway. <laughs> probably, what was you, know, the mo- you know what? You're probably completely right. What's the most... God, I'm going to have to edit. What like was the most successful episode. Star Trek film of the original six? The most successful Star Trek film of the original six was four. Thank you. Now, we've got a, we've got a solid foundation. Yeah. But you will have fans now trying to rewrite history and saying that the most popular one is Khan. Uh, it's the most popular. If you ask, you know, if you want critical reaction, if you ask people, what's your favorite Star Trek film? Decades later, right? But the one that made the most money on initial release, Star Trek Four, and was also the one that the general public, non-Star Trek fans, went to see. Correct. People who normally did not see Star Trek went to see this one and had a good time. Yep. And I, I think there is a sort of an only's a, uh, a collective club with Star Trek people. They, they love what they love. If the general public gets too close, they have a tendency to push them away. There's a bit of that in there. Oh, no, no I'm, not, I'm not arguing with you. I'm trying to think of other examples to kind of bolster the argument. I think it's a new thing. I think really? Star Trek is the spearhead of that kind of thing, of fandom-based, this is mine, don't play with my toys. Oh, now, if you phrase it that way, oh, shit, yeah. Oh, I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah, okay. And I think that the uh, the, the the Star Trek film, the the new, um, uh, the first of the two, oh. and I'm saying the second one, I agree with you. There's definitely some problems in it, while I still don't hate it. It's a 60% pretty good movie with about a 40% or 20% like, that's not so good, and another 20% like, huh. So we're not in we're not in disagreement about the second one. The first one, I, I don't I can't believe anybody wouldn't have had a good time at that film. I was totally elated when I was watching it, and it's the same thing like with that. And we're gonna bring it around back to you only of twice, which was let's get the audience in there, let's give them a show. Wow, we got us back to Bond. We got us all the way back to Bond, Barnum and Bailey, whatever you want to call it. To stay on the Bond thing. Yeah. You only live twice. When I recently went back and rewatched it, because I knew we were going to sit down and talk about the Bond films, or I thought we were, I was blown away. <laughs> I tried earlier. I, I really, really loved the ballsiness of that running fight across the tops of those buildings. Beautiful. you go short and uh, I guess not so sweet as you can tell Mark and I have a tendency to get into 
somewhat heated arguments about movies, and I, as I've said before, like to needle him a little, but then again, he likes to yell at me and, and get in my face and give me an attitude, even when he knows I'm right. He knows I'm right, because I'm always right, because I'm the person editing the podcast. <laughs> Anyway, just a little update. Mark and I plan to do another podcast later this year. We haven't really settled on a topic, but as you probably surmised from this one, staying on topic is not our best skill set by any stretch of the imagination. So that'll happen later this year. I've got a lot of other podcasts in the hopper. I've got a number of people who want to return to do another podcast when they've done one before. Lots of different topics, lots of different ideas. So hang around. They'll be coming. Hopefully, I'll be picking up the pace as soon as I'm not trying to work two and a half jobs all at the same time. So, with that in mind, uh, the next episode up will definitely be Troy and myself and Jeff Nelson sitting down to talk about Lucio Fulci's The Beyond. And then after that, there'll be a flood of other episodes coming at you just as quickly as we can do it. Uh, Now, a lot of you are already probably aware that Troy and I because of our uh, seven-year-long project known as the Nashi Cast, we're asked to do a commentary track for Mondo Macabro's forthcoming Blu-ray of Paul Nashi's film Inquisition. We were incredibly thrilled to be offered this chance, and we leapt at it. That disc comes out in April with a larger release of it scheduled for, I think, May. So if you're curious about that film or you just want to hear Troy and I stumble our way through a commentary track about one of our favorite Paul Nashi films, go over to Mondo Macabro's website and order you up a copy of Inquisition. It's a good one, folks, even if you don't want to listen to us. Inquisition is still a very, very good film. And of course, one of the things keeping me busy and keeping Troy busy currently is that we might just have some more interesting information about future commentary tracks that we're involved with. But right now we're trying to keep the information kind of on the low down. So this is the first public announcement of that possibility down the road. So keep your ears open, and when we are allowed to say something about it, We'll let you know. So, for right now, this is Rod Barnett. Hope you enjoyed this rather short and sweet-ish episode of The Bloody Pit. We'll be back in a few weeks with The Beyond. Touch.
your head. 